hundreds and thousands, and we are taking control of your radio. Shut the hell up, David. <laughs> well, I'm taking control of your radio station. <laughs> should, this is the remix. Yeah. We are here to look at the Hot 100 of 998, but we are doing a special remix episode this week where we vote, say the songs that we would have voted for if we were a voting age in 998. <laughs> <laughs> if we were legal. If we were legal to vote in 98, these are the songs that we think deserve a fitting place in the Hot 100 of 998. And there's a special surprise, which I'll get to very soon. <laughs> the five voices you're going to be hearing from this week are, of course, David James Young. Hi! Adam Buncher. Yo! Nathan Harrison. What? <laughs> and Elliot Simpson's Index. What? <laughs> yes, we legally changed your name overnight by Deed Poll. That's good. It's good for my brand. Yes, yeah, we, baby. We've invited our close friend and host of Sister Podcast, The Simpsons Index, to join us for our special remix episode, partly in repayment of the time that uh, the majority of us were on his podcast. You can check it out on the iTunes store if you haven't already. Obviously, I'm you should have. I'm so sorry about that. That, was, <laughs> that would have been a nightmare to edit. Yeah. Elliot, very happy to have you here, my friend. No, thank you for having me over. I, I can't wait to yeah get into it with you. Terrific, great. And what better way to kick off then with our very own regular host, Adam Buncher. If you were a voting age in the 98, what individual song from that year, keep in mind, do you think you would have voted for in the Triple J Hottest 100 of 998? Almost certainly not this song. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, the song that I have picked is Holland 1945 by Neutral Milk Hotel. Great, let's hear it. By Neutral Milk Hotel, Adam's terrific vote for the Hostel 98. Adam, why did you pick this song when you were a wee kid? Because honestly, if I had a gun to my head and I only had five seconds to spit out an answer, I would say In the Airplane Over the Sea by Neutral Milk Hotel, which this song comes off, is probably my number one favourite album of all time. It's a very difficult choice. Which is, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing to say because it's like kind of archetypally the cult classic indie rock album, right? So even as I say it's my favourite album of all time, there's a little part of me that, you know, like, as the words leave my mouth, it's kind of like a curse that turns me into a bit of a cliche. It's such an established record, not only in indie rock scenes, but also, I guess, in contemporary internet music culture it has been memified because it is so popular and beloved really yeah right and it's and it's just like the darling alternative music album kind of one one of the biggest ones of all time yeah i think it's still one of rate your music's highest rated records of all time yeah exactly it is slightly left to feel like even when we heard that song just then there's a fuzz to it that is off-putting if you're not expecting it kind of thing so it, i know it does have its detractors i to spoil the pooch i'm not one of those detractors no well, <laughs> I we, think- well i mean like we had to kind of like 
go back and forth with one another being like, all right, who's going to take the Neutral Curtail song? Yeah, and, 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 and on which song from the album? Because, yeah. listener, if you haven't heard the record, I, as soon as this podcast is done, as soon as you've rated us five stars and lived a very charming review... <laughs> and played the Simpsons Index as well. The we like five-star well. reviews as well. Yes, yeah. yes but it is a, a very worthwhile record that you need to hear. I love the idea that this is someone's introduction to Neutral Motel. Yeah. I truly <laughs> hope so. If that is the case, do let us know on the forum. Um, just someone you know, really? So, special guest, Elliot from The Simpsons Index, this is your first time... You guys are going to hate me for this, but... Not at all. Parks and Rec, the character April Ludgate, she mentions Neutral Milk Hotel in an right. episode. Mm-hmm. I thought just at that moment, oh, that's a jokey made-up sounding band name. <laughs> no, <laughs> really? Woo! But no, would, a, a few years later, yeah, I did discover, yeah, Neutral, Neutral Milk Hotel are a band that exists and they're very real and, and this album is insane. And especially this song, like, just going back to the fuzz, like, it just jumps in, like, when you get into your car and you left the volume up way too loud and it yeah. Just talking, like that fuzz, man. Neutral Milk Hotel was established from lo-fi recordings in the very beginning. It started yeah. off as basically Jeff Mangum, who is the principal songwriter and kind of like head of Neutral Milk Hotel. I guess in a similar way to how like Trent Reznor is ostensibly Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. Um, although there are members of of Neutral Milk Hotel, you know, the lineup has basically just been anyone. Any one of the inspired weirdos that felt compelled to follow Jeff in in the kind yeah. of project. It did start off as kind of his own uh, home recording cassette songwriting project. And yeah, it reminds me of that great that. quote from Mark E. Smith from The Fall, where he says, "Um, if it's me and your granny, it's still The Fall. Yeah, like, yeah. If it's Jeff, if it's Jeff Mangum if it's or Jeff, anyone, it's still Neutral Milk Hotel. There is every He's chance. He's the hotel manager. <laughs> or the, exactly. Is he the owner? He's Basil Faulty. Oh, you know, oh, bit of a reference to faulty towers, there, listeners. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> that, that just went off. Everyone laughed so loud. That we ended it out, but it was very funny. Um, yes, but this song, Adam, I'm very glad you chose this song. The reason why I think that this is actually the right choice is because it's kind of like a centerpiece to the album. It comes in the middle, and it does exemplify all of the elements that are at play musically on the album kind of turned up to 11. You've got that fuzzy guitar, the way too loose drums, Jeff Mangum's all too boisterous, slightly off-key, way too sincere vocal coming through over that. Um, And then, of course, uh, Scott Spurlane's amazing brass, which I think is Mm. a highlight throughout the course of the whole album and especially in this song, especially when it gets like a little bit mariachi uh, towards towards the end of the That's track. That's so sick. And also lyrically, the album kind of has this weird thread going through it of being inspired by the diary of Anne Frank. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say it's a concept record, but the no. thread of Anne Frank's diary is present on at least half the record. Right. Jeff Mangum wrote a lot of this album as almost direct translations of lucid dreams that he had at the time. Um, in fact, his bandmates would often catch him sleepwalking. Um, huh. And through the hotel at <laughs> night. <laughs> That's right. Waking up all the guests. Disturbing the guests. <laughs> Getting and himself a glass of milk. Yeah. <laughs> Many of the lucid dreams that he had during this time involved, if not Anne Frank and her family directly, someone very much like her. It's just something that oh. he was... It was in his brain at the time. And what, what I think that that stands for really... And what I think is kind of the crux emotionally of In the Aeroplane Over the Sea is the idea of innocence up against the chaotic tragedy of the world. Yeah, because the, the, the album and the song, it's all about like the ultimate lost innocence, that we have yeah. this document of the Diary of Anne Frank, which many, many people have read and it's been analysed to death, and it's a beautiful document to examine and read. Like It serves as this 
the reason I think it's partly so powerful is that it's a really personable, human, young, naive exploration of life and growth in the face of Nazism and the chaos of the Holocaust. Mm. And that's like the, the saddest, most tragic thing you can think of. And so, of course, that, that would serve as an inspiration to write sad, tragic, beautiful music. Yeah, because I think what I what I end up getting from in the airplane over the sea really is it's just like it's this usefulness and this naivety and there's this kind of surreal superstitiousness throughout the whole thing of it. I'm actually going to read directly from a quote that Pitchfork had writing about this Sorry, album. Who? Pitchfork yeah. for, for the 20th anniversary of, of this album. They say, Aeroplane is a place of nameless sensations and frightening desires where historical imagery is scrambled and lines between past, present and future are porous. It doesn't try to make sense of anything and it has no answers. It's an album of memories and associations. How skin feels against the grass and what passes through your mind the first time you realise your own powerlessness. It puts ultimate faith in raw feeling, the kind that consume you without logic or sense. And that's really kind of hitting on... My reaction and relationship to Neutral Milk Hotel as well. Like I couldn't tell you, it would be really, really difficult, at least for me, to articulate exactly what the album means or, or exactly how I feel. Or it's kind of like I, I find it a really hard album to quantify most of the time. I don't really know what I'm hearing, but I know that it makes me want to scream and dance and cry. And that, despite the fact that it is such a well loved album, and I know that I'm not the only one who loves it. I have a feeling like it's still personal and it still belongs to me in some really weird sense. Like I talked about when I was talking about Jeff Buckley, how there's a kind of music that goes beyond, you know, liking it or loving it. And it becomes like, no, this subject and object kind of just dissolves. This is me. When I listen to Neutral Milk Hotel, I feel like it's that personal. It's DNA music. It's encoded into me. So I guess I just have to wear the fact that because the album is what it is and because it holds the, the cultural place that it does, that maybe turns me into a cliche. But that's only from the outside. Yeah, but you man, know, we, that's, we, that's we, other people's projection. For man, me, it's we, as real as it we're gets. We're all cliches, man. Everyone's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. The classics are classics for a reason. Yeah. I, I feel like I am who I am most authentically through music when I'm listening to to Neutral Milk Hotel. And a thing I really get in it is this idea of community. The fact that there are so many sounds and so many layers and you, the band itself was made up of this, you know, this ragtag crew that was led by this one band leader. And it also draws upon this kind of like carnival aesthetic, which is in a sense, you know, like a misfit community of its own. Um, that comes across most strongly in the, the two Two-Headed Boy songs, which draw very very closely to this whole kind of freak show uh, side plot that, that the album kind of has as well. And it's just this big, messy approach to life, really, and, just, and, and the importance of connection and being all together. And I think at the time, in 1998, this album wasn't a popular album. It didn't really make waves or break through. In fact, it was only later in like the early 2000s that bands like Arcade Fire and Franz Ferdinand and Caribou started name-dropping Neutral Milk Hotel. Yeah. And they had such a following that you know people started rallying around it then. But that sense of community and that sense of togetherness and rallying around something, even though it's it's nothing in particular, the importance isn't about it going up against something. It's it's an us and them where the us is emphasized. Yeah. It's just like it's important that we're together. That's what I love about that scene in the early 2000s indie. Yeah. Um, and I think you can trace a line for that kind of sentiment to this album. I think what the album and this song does so well is give you an in... I think you could love this album without knowing that it's about Anne Frank 
and I think you could have a really strong emotional present oh, connection to it. When I was a teenager, right? <clears throat> I didn't know who Anne Frank was. Well, totally. So, like, yeah, well, I, we, we don't all lucid dream about Anne Frank. <laughs> and also, like, I think it's like a background flavor, and it's and it it maybe helps you to to have that as something that you can use as a lens to identify things, but you don't need it at all. No, like you can you can have a really strong personal connection to this album, and I, I think. There's a lot of things in the album that do that. I think they're kind of flirting with all the different styles. Like, even in this song, you've got mariachi at one end and very fuzzy fuzz at the other. Like, and, and just Jeff singing the whole way through is so, so easy to latch onto. It's so like sing along, but also just really wonderful. Like, I think when you said you can't quantify it, I think, yeah, I think that's it. You can, you can have such an easy connection to this no matter how much, I guess, how much you know. Like, it's a very accessible album that also has a huge amount of depth. Yeah. It becomes one of those albums that, you know, rewards repeated listenings yeah. repeat, and, you know, digging in further, deeper, researching all this shit, yeah. You keep picking up other shit. It was just like, oh, wait, so that's a reference to that, which was a reference to that. You end up like fucking Charlie and it's always sunny <laughs> with the big fucking, like the pin board with just shit lined String up everywhere. everywhere. But at the same time, like nothing's a reference to anything. Like uh, it's it's all kind of this stream of consciousness. Yeah, you like, can read like everything and nothing into this record. Yeah. Which is so fascinating. Um, yeah, so I came to this record in my mid-teens. Uh, I think recommendation of a recommendation of a recommendation. Everyone gets getting shitty burnt copies, just like the black market, you know. The CDR generation. Right, like that. You, you, this guy gets it. This guy copies gets it. Of albums that have skips on them that have been recorded from other yeah. people's albums. And you, you learn those skips so well. Mm. <laughs> or like your friend Burns, like two shorter records onto one CD and then when one record ends and even now you mentally start hearing the unrelated other punk records yes! from the mid-90s oh my god yeah this was one of those records like I was never like one of like the tattoo getting devotees I don't think I I'm ever I'm this even... close yeah. I, seriously the uh, the gramophone airplane do yeah. not be surprised if that shows up on my person <laughs> make in it the future. happen man make it happen we'll yeah. go fund you this was always a record I'd, I'd throw on you know through high school and stuff like that and you know, kind of, it, it was kind of like this fantastical kind of just like, oh man, this band would have been really, really special. I, I'm bummed, you know, that, you know, they burnt out so quickly and I never, you know, got to see them. And then the 15th anniversary of oh this record rolled around and it was announced that they were getting back together. And it was at the same time, it was just like, oh wow, Neutral Milk, that's going to be sick. No way that'll fucking come here though. And then it fucking came here. Yeah. We were like, dude, I remember when this song played. Uh, we were we were in the second we were like up the back like watching everything going down and like halfway through I just see the crowd moving a little bit and say is some motherfucker crowd surfing and sure as shit there was a dude crowd surfing to this song I'm just like that is the tweeest crowd surf I've ever seen in my entire life and it was fucking beautiful actually I couldn't make that show because I was overseas and I remember thinking when I bought my overseas tickets I bet I really good gig gets in here so I don't get to go and it happened Um, so much pain as you were floating down the French Riviera (laughs) oh woe is me woe is me Um, (laughs) um the, yeah, I found this record, I guess, like a lot of people when I was um, at university. It was very 
college record because I just saw it either through I, I knew of its existence through internet culture and through 4chan's music board it was kind of a memed record and an essential listen and Adam recommended it to me as well and I remember listening to it the very first time and not enjoying it and then not listening to it again for like a year and a half something like that you recommended it to me after that and you said mm. you've got to give it a chance I remember yeah. just putting it on and it was like I had a different set of ears like any negative in, like inclination I had about the first hour, I don't even remember why I didn't love it immediately because the second time I listened to it like a year and a half later, I fell in love with it immediately and I had that, that rare thing. I don't do this very often, but when the record ends, you put it on again right away. I did that with this, like straight away. I'm like, I need to listen to that again. There's so much I want to unpack about that. And this song was a huge part of that because I think of the record, this is probably the the song that stands best as an individual song, like apart from, outside of the the record's context and concept. I should say that, like, I think the flow of the album, the the, the begin from beginning to end, is one of the best constructed kind of whole albums that I can name. Of yeah. course, I would say that, but like, but you're right, yeah, yeah. yeah and calling this song as a, as a centerpiece is so is so apt. Like, yeah. If I were to guess where this would have landed in the hot hundred, if it would have gotten in, I would give it like a six. Probably yeah. get out the top. Should have. Do it <laughs> really? Well. I mean, it, no, it, obviously not. Yeah. It, because it didn't. <laughs> it, it, and there was no way that it ever could have. Because again, like in 1998, a few people would have known about this. Because these guys were part of like a genuine small community known yeah, as the but, Elephant Six Recording Company. Is that of Montreal as well? Of Montreal. Yeah. Uh, Olivia Tremor Control and yeah. uh, Apple's in Stereo. Yeah, of, yeah, of those, kind of the most enduring name has been of Montreal, who sure. kind of had the largest career out of any of the, of the yeah, Elephant Six. still going on, right? Yeah. Yeah, big oh, yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another another really great band. Jeff Mangan, on the other hand, has returned to a cabin in the woods, presumably. Well, he, as soon as the they were done touring, Aeroplane had a nervous breakdown. He mm. just... Oof. That's why the, the band was kind of done, because yeah. he, he just invested so much of himself in the album, I think. Um, and also because of the fact most of the time when it was being recorded or prior to this, you know, it, it being successful, he was homeless. <laughs> like, he was seriously just like... Mm. The actual, like, cliche of the indie band was exactly what Neutral Milk Hotel was. The uh, aforementioned Scott Sperlane, who plays the brass, he taught himself brass for the album so he could quit his job making pizzas. Like, oh, wow. Off. Yeah. It's, That's uh, huge. And in the years since the record, I know Mangum's had a couple of solo appearances here and there and, like, very different, like, instrumental, experimental stuff going on once or twice. But yeah. the, he's been relatively absolutely quiet it's been over 20 years since this record and he hasn't made a proper full length record since I don't need any new music from Neutral Milk Hotel I understand that entirely but it's funny that he would have this creative drive to make this beautiful music and then never make any more music, right? Like it's it's weird. Is he making a living off of the royal, off, off the sales of? Aerosmith? Probably not. Yeah, he he, he might be making pizzas with Scott, man. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> fully. Yeah, but I people talk about there being this idea of creativity being out in the ether and it just you know some ideas just get channeled through certain people. And when I hear this album and I look at how it kind of came through Jeff, I fully buy into that kind of as an idea, right? Because it's just so weird. And and yet whole and powerful and the fact that it just kind of came blew through him like a force and wiped him out just I don't know like it just communicates to the truth of that idea yeah mm. beautiful stuff very very happy to have this song in the countdown which it should have been I feel <laughs> like I feel like I haven't done it justice in terms of like my love or you know articulating it but I was never going to I abandoned the idea of doing that from the very beginning so. <sighs> he'd be proud of you as a great man once said my name Jeff. <laughs> Nathan, I know you're not much of a music aficionado. It's true. Don't, don't much care for the audio thing. But if you were into this 
crazy love and music art form we call music. <laughs> what, what would you have voted for in 1998 Toss 100? If I had to. If, if you had to. Gun to your head. <laughs> Gun, Gun to your to head. head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I had to. Vote or die, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Rock the vote. <laughs> uh, I would, uh, as a 10-year-old, have picked uh, Refused Song, uh, New Noise. Nathan, great choice. Why'd you pick this? Um, well, we've been talking at length uh, on the podcast of my love of heavy music. I love all music that is that is heavy. I came across... <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't keep up that facade. <laughs> In year 10, whenever that is, 2004. Yes. And I imagine Andrew's story is somewhat similar to mine. Listening to a lot of punk, mostly I would say like 90s and 2000s, punk like No Effects, Bad Religion, Friends Will Rom, also... Classic punk like Dead Kennedys, Ramones and Misfits. And then I remember hearing about Refused and because it was the days where you, you had the time to invest yourself in a band more than, than you do now, I got the whole discography and spent my time working through it. And the first couple of EPs and albums by Refused are very good and there's some really good songs on there, really kind of big hardcore songs at the time reminded me a lot of rage but if it was more punk than rap rock mm. yeah and then i finally got to this album the shape of punk to come and this just like blew my fucking mind i never heard anything like this it, it wasn't just the, the music style as well as the politics this is an album where Foreman meaning reached ultimate communion. The politics and the music are so radical and entwined, and that's the point. There are many other songs I could have picked from this album, but this song stands alone as a single really well, but I think it also represents the ethos of this album, which is you can't make punk music using radical politics when it's wrapped up in a style of music that is co-opted by the mainstream. And so this album comes from Refused being frustrated with the music that they and other bands are playing and looking for something else. The whole album like plays with so many styles. There are weird jazz and ambient and techno interludes and, and everything is just really up in the air. 
And I think the nice thing about that is they kind of do a full circle and they land back in hardcore again. The songs and New Noise particularly is, is, a, is a hardcore punk song. But having gone through this journey, everything feels new and shifted and not quite what it was beforehand. This is a beautiful song. It's so engaging. It like it just launches. I mean, we, we, when we were playing before, we all did the woo. Like it, it's so much fun. Something that really grabs me in this, and I love it when other punk bands do it as well, is the self-implication. They're not saying other bands are playing crap music. They're saying we, as a community of artists, need to find something new because what we're doing is not working. And this music, I don't think they're saying this is the new noise. They're saying like we need a new noise. Mm. We're pushing for it. I don't think they're saying they've found it. Mm. But well, I that's they self- did, just quietly. I, th- I think they did yeah. too, but I, I and, and, you know, obviously the story of Refused kind of collapsing around this album is incredible too. Yeah. Well, what's the deal there? Do Does they go Mangum? <laughs> yeah. Full Mangum. Yeah, but, 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 it's, but it's the punk. You never go full Mangum. Yeah. It's, it's, it, is, it is the finest thing of what, how punk bands should end. They released this record in 1998, um, and they were still an underground Swedish hardcore punk band at the time. They didn't really have an international, a huge international following. They had some international fans, of course, but they were mainly constructed just then to their native Sweden. Um, and they were playing what, at the time their very last show, and it got shut down by the cops for noise p- pollution and just being too loud, which is very punk. That's so it's a great way to have a punk show end. Yeah. Um, and it was during one of their earlier songs, the last song on there, the song called uh, "Rather Be Dead." The chorus of that is just saying, like, life's so crappy, like, I'd rather be dead. And then it ends at the very end with this reclamation of that, of being like, no, fuck that idea, I'd rather be alive. And they chant really, like, really like... It's about the beauty of, like, reclaiming the fact that, like, yeah, everything is terrible, but don't wish death. There's better things to do, and you can create those better things. And the cop shut all the power off of the small, crappy room they were playing right when that climax hit and the band and all the fans there were just screaming at the cops rather be alive rather be alive and that was the story of refused because sometimes life is beautiful mm. it just packages the mythology of the band so well and and that that comes out of this album is just is perfect i'll include yeah. this in the show notes but uh almost 20 years on from that this is me screaming rather be alive in Dennis Lixon's face at the Animal Theatre in Sydney. The politics of this song, the lyrics are very shouted out, so you, it's best to read along with the entire record's lyrics, but just a repeating line, it says, we lack the motion to, to move to a new beat. New art for real people. We dance to all the wrong songs. We enjoy all the wrong moves. We're not leading. This is exactly what you're talking about, Nathan. Like, music is politics, not music embodies politics but like music is a political act in itself if you do it in the right way that's been proven again and again throughout different genres in history and like i guess this, this is what that song's about right yeah absolutely and it's just the you know again it's the frustration of of seeing political music that is just packaged and co-opted by the mainstream and by corporate interests and also i think uh punk rock creating its own boundaries that force itself to not be countercultural anymore if you it's like uh, if you maintain that like four chords is the music then of course room for experimentation is not available and they just like no we need a new noise if we want punk to be punk we need to have a new noise and it's just so fucking exciting and i remember finding this record probably around the same time blew my mind as well i'm like i did not know punk could be this interesting and fascinating and self-aware and reflexive and just exciting music obviously the title of the record the shape of punk to come is a reference to the Ornette Coleman record, The Shape of Jazz to Come, where he made a musical manifesto for free jazz. Then many practitioners of uh, Ornette Coleman went on to make really free experimental jazz music, like even like John Coltrane did as well. And I think the sad thing that like the 
expectedly typical thing is that Punk largely didn't take Refused's message on board. It was about to be what I was going to ask. Like, how does how does I that manifest? I, 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 I agree with that. To I, be th- I, I think they did musically, but not. Politically. politically, I think yeah. like there's a whole uh, swathe of, especially around the MySpace era of hardcore bands, like really quite directly taking from Refused. So I think I think stylistically you can draw the lineage to a lot of like I guess like the early 2000s hardcore bands. Yeah, but what about like the Rock Against Bush movement and all that sort of stuff? Like I think politically punk got massively into that side of things. Like, I, but I would also argue that there was no pushing forward in terms of the music and a lot of that is just the same old punk and honestly the same old messages but because it's about bush and about something specific that people are grabbing onto it gets a lot more traction i think there's a beautiful it's not quite naivety but like i love listening to those albums because they are such like entry point politics in a lot of ways and i don't mean that too disparagingly but it is still just like kind of accessible punk making easy political points the, I think the ultimate irony of it all is that the reformed Refuse didn't take on any of their own message. The modern day Refuse records are just generic punk rock records. Bullshit. Nah, man, you're- I in disagree. The, you're so fucking wrong, man. I can't believe how wrong you are. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking- like, We've talked about Freedom this Freedom is not a generic punk record at all. Dude, it fully is, man. No that, way. The, that record was a fucking letdown and a half. Nathan, you hold Andrew, I'll hold David. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck was expecting them to make the exact- this is the funniest fucking bit to me that everyone was just like, oh man, this record is so good because it's so different. And then they made another record that was completely different to the previous one. It's just like, oh, it doesn't sound the same as the no, last record. What the fuck were you expecting? It sounds like the first two Refuse records. It's but, just, a- but just softer with like international noise conspiracy flourishes. I disagree. I think they were, they were genuinely trying to reclaim and refit, recalibrate what Refuse could be in the modern era. Like, obviously... Any record that lives in the shadow of The Shape of Punk to Come is never going to live up to that expectation. If you have a record that looms that large over literally everything you do, that, that's why fucking Noise Conspiracy never took off. It was just like, yeah, well, it's not Shape of Punk to Come. Yeah, it's a completely different thing, but it just lingers and it looms over everything that you do. So it is impossible to escape that. Sorry, the International Noise Conspiracy was the band that, was it two of them made after Refused? Or yeah, just yeah, Dennis? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so I- Inge. Uh, Johansson, yeah. who also went on to play in Against Me. Yeah. Um, and I, I quite like the International Noise Conspiracy. I think all of those records are better than Freedom still. <laughs> Elliot, do you have a relationship with Refused? Uh, not really. Like, to be honest, this isn't my sort of uh, punk or metal, like, but, you know, you told me this was going to be one of the songs we were covering. I was so fucking surprised this was from the 90s. Like, this is such a 2000s sound, and the fact that the record's called The Shape of Punk to Come, like, yeah. how fucking prophetic, right? Right? I absolutely pay the song, and, like, for me to say this isn't my sort of music, you know, I'm not saying this is objectively a bad song, because if I was to do that, you know... <laughs> the middle finger that the band is currently giving everybody that says this is a, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good, like, like escape clause that, like, if you hate the song, exactly. you just prove them right. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you either like it or you don't get it. Like, well, yeah. I rest my case. <laughs> Taking away my personal preferences and everything, there are so many cool things going on with this song, like the foreboding intro how and how it just leads into the, you know, lo-fi uh, breakbeat and shit like that. Yeah, that breakbeat is sick. 
Yeah, oh, and so then sick. the interplay between the two vocals is like it is a new noise, especially for that time. Like I still think it feels fresh today. I think the drop that happens at the oh, beginning of this song fuck me is drunk. one of the biggest drops in music genre, regardless. It's yeah. a fucking nuclear explosion, and, the- and then it comes after "Can I Scream?" <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's, 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 yes, it's perfectly wild. I- the two times I've seen that go down live, we've got fucking primal. Oh my god! I got kicked in the face. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I chipped a tooth of that refuse gig. Oh. <laughs> but it's also a song that like begs the crowd to interact, right? You know, yeah, oh, yeah, the yeah. wrong noise. Like, yeah, come on. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. I think it has one of the most undeniable energies of any track. Seems hyperbolic to say that, but listen to it like that. I, it's there. Like, yeah, it's got, it's got to be some track. Why not this one, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> some track is the most hype. Yeah. Maybe it's new noise. <laughs> Maybe, Your Honor. <laughs> David. Yes. Hello. That's you, my name. You're um kind of known as someone who has heard music before. Look, I've heard of. You've heard uh, of it. Yes. Yeah. I've seen um, it written down. This is an yeah. even funnier one than with Nathan. <laughs> um, I've um, seen a couple of bass clefts on the wall, and I was yeah. like, oh, that might mean something. Yeah. What are um, these mysterious symbols? <laughs> Ooh. Which um which series of bass clefts would you have voted for in 1998's Triple Dread Ultimate 100 if you had been A, of the voting age, mm. and B, remembered? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would have arranged the bass clefts to form a little ditty by the name of The Way by Fastball. David. Yes. Fascinatingly great choice. Why'd you pick this bad boy? I think this is one of the weirdest songs to become a hit single in the 90s. Do you ever look back at a decade and it's just like, oh, that totally fucking happened. Like, like when you go back through the 2000s, you see like the whole like ringtone era, like Crazy Frog and like Schnishna Schnappy, Dust Klein Crocodile and oh, shit like PTSD that. PTSD shivers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, just for the record, not comparing Fastball to Crazy Frog. <laughs> no, you never I'm just would. using it as a wider example of like, oh, that totally happened. So there was an old rock boom in the 90s. Boom. Uh, and with it came a bunch of bands that were 
Very successful on a big single, and then when they weren't able to follow it up successfully enough, they were promptly dropped into obscurity. Uh, you can see uh, previous uh, Hottest 100 entries, uh, like the Gin Blossoms, mm. a Collective Soul, all that sort of shit. Uh, and one of those bands was a band called Fastball, who put together uh, what is a very bizarre 50s throwback. As a lot of you will know, uh, 50s pop songs were often involved in straight-up tragedy. Like, that'll be the day that I die. Or, like, Last Kiss, which then became a big hit for Pearl Jam around, like, uh, maybe a year later or something like that. And Fastball put together this weirdly tragic story about this... Yeah, very dark family story and stuff like that. Stuff that you have no idea about as a kid, but you're just taken in by that jaunty piano and that kind of minor chord progression. And the fact it literally sounds like it's coming out of an AM radio. And then it kind of like transitions into the FM in the second chorus. There's just so many little bits and pieces in this song. I'm just like, this is so fucking weird. Like, how did this become a widely known and beloved song? I, I'm always fascinated. Like, what was it about the way that just drew people in? I think it's got something to do with just like that inherent accessibility in that. Like, that chorus is incredible. Like, it's a motor mouth chorus. Like, there's so much to pack in there. But also, everyone remembers where were they going with like that spiraling like. Like drifting downwards, which is kind of like antithetical to what pop choruses normally are. Like they usually ba 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 ba, like it, it goes all the way up, whereas this kind of spirals down. There's just a lot of moving parts in this song, and by no means should it have been as big as it was. And yet here we are still talking about it 20 years later. Fastball is still together. But Fastball it- still tour in the US. Like. But do, do you, like, yeah, I know I'm with you on the quizzical nature of its success, but yeah. do, do you pay the song? No, I just picked it for shits and giggles. Well, I thought you were picking it partly because it's a fascinating story. I, like, oh, I, I loved this song. I love no, it now. Yeah. I think it rules. I like, absolutely loved this song as a child. Like, this was one of the first songs I learned how to play on guitar. Like, I, I, I went busking playing this song many, many times. When I started learning how to play it, like, when you had to, like, pull out the lyrics and shit like that, I was just like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just like, so they're all dead? Question mark. <laughs> I've said it before and I'll say it again, 1998 was a huge year of like, I think one of the one of the first years of my life in which I was actively paying attention to music in general. Like I watched the top 50 every Saturday morning and like I was buying CD singles and like uh, the first few albums that I bought were all within 98, 99. So like Neon Ballroom, Breathing Tornadoes, Americana, Living End Self-Titled, like all this sort of shit. And so like I was actively becoming invested in music and one of the songs that was instrumental in that was The Way by Fastball I thought about them for years I'm like what the fuck happened there like if you're making that style of music it's never gonna last like you're not gonna still have pop hits fucking 10 years later but the fact that they persevered and kept going and are still touring in the states and like doing like heaps of like 90s nostalgia tours to this day like they did a tour with like Tonic and Vertical Horizon last year and like oh (laughs) 
I reckon they might have done like the 311 cruise as well, just for the fuck of it. They seem like that kind of band, hey. So this is like a special song that I remember, but also a song that like continually developed for me as it went on. Like just hearing it first, like da da da, oh that's nice, da da. I'm eight, da 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 da. That's catchy, and then later on it's just like, what the what the fuck? Like really? Okay. Because um the uh the song uh it's based off a true thing mm. um yeah frontman Tony Scalzo said he did it wrote it about he heard about an elderly couple Layla and Raymond Howard in somewhere in Texas who left their home in June of ninety seven and just like, to go to like a, a Pioneer Day festival and um it was after one of them had Alzheimer's the other one was covering from brain surgery and they were found dead two weeks later and they did they did just leave like they were married and elderly so they left their kids kind of thing like that and and he said he wrote this as a romanticized take on it thinking that maybe they just went off to be like you know what I'm ditching it all just to have fun and be beautiful like we did when we first met kind of thing like this romantic take of these people leaving their life behind to have like a beautiful farewell together mm. but it's based on a true event with two people who just ditched life and were found dead two weeks later in a ditch which is fucking grim but like all those kind of like you're right there but those 50 songs they have those grim ideas and this does have that kind of throwback thing but yeah. like the weird beat of this is kind of like I know I, I vibe yeah, like, with this song a lot it's, yeah I feel like this song wants to be faster there's certain like musical elements that's pushing it and especially you know what you're talking about with a 50s throwback is so accentuated in the guitar work during the verse, all that dun 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 dun, dun like that's such classic fifties R and B, like arpeggiated stuff, yeah, yeah. And then like in the chorus uh, after the vocals, it's like classic blues shit, like which is normally played at a faster tempo. Maybe that's why I think it wants to be faster, but yeah, um, yeah. You should uh, go to the YouTube thing and just set the speed to one point two five. There we go. Yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah. I connect this with like Brimful of Asher, yeah, and other songs yeah, like sure. that. that like, I know song was just like how is this so successful yeah but but like just a catchy song with a lot of you know decades gone production value and and think about that yeah it's a good song yeah i'm not sure i think it's that weird just a good song yeah there's, well, there's just a line consider where, what else was on the pop charts at the time right everything like backstreet yeah like yeah i've talked about this like yeah. backstreet boys and bewitched and like hansen and all that shit, but you also have like Massive Attack and Marilyn Manson and like Powderfinger and like all Casey and JoJo, like all so much different shit. I think it's sure. just this weird moment where like the genre walls are down, and yeah. so if anything's well, yeah, catchy, like, grunge it's was good. dead, and like yeah. yeah. And uh, you're talking about sort of watching a lot of Rage and really developing as a music lover through that. Mine yeah. was actually MTV Australia back on the old Optus Vision. Yeah, all right. remember yeah, that. Yeah, we get it. Your parents had money. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and like you look at the MTV Most Wanted compilation CD that came out at that time, and it was exactly that. Yeah, Britney Spears and stuff, and then mixed in with yeah, Fastball and Foo Fighters. It's fucking yeah. weird. But I remember uh, watching the MTV's Most Wanted their like top 100 countdown and this one like this was their number one for really? the yeah the MTV most one it was like a call in show sort of thing so why wasn't this on the triple j hottest 100 though maybe it was like strictly on commercial radio at that point I sure i don't guess. i don't know maybe they just bypass triple j you know when some bands just bypass triple j and just go straight onto yeah, that I sort remember, of shit yeah i remember listening to triple j one night and like a really young kid called in and was like can i hear maroon 5 this love and they're like uh no <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't sound that dissimilar in a lot of ways to um 
the space song Tom Jones, right? Like it has that similar kind of thing. It doesn't have Tom Jones, Tom Jones going for it. But that's, a, that's a major like down point. Yeah, a, few, a few songs get that point though, really. Yeah, <laughs> I can, think, I, of I can think of one. Yeah. <laughs> so Adam, had you heard this song before? Like you worked, you worked at Power FM. I'm sure you heard this song. Yeah. I heard, it, I heard it all. I heard it all. All right, all right come sure on. Let, let me have it. Let me have it. Come on. No, I was just fascinated to hear what it was about this song that you enjoyed because to me, like, it has always just been background music. That's that's it. In my relationship to it, never got further than that. This song to me was what a Big Mac was to someone who worked at McDonald's. It's just what I served up. You know, and I didn't. I seriously did not think about it any more than that. And some people love Big Macs. People were buying it. <laughs> um, and so, Most so, requested. So this is so this is me being like, what does it taste like? Like for someone who's who doesn't have to be around the smell of it all day, because I was like kind of day in day out. This is still like a cornerstone '90s throwback commercial radio rock track. Yeah. That's how I kind of came to know it because that's what I was pressing play on when I was working on commercial radio. So. I don't think I have the necessary tools because of that context to look at this in the same way as I would look at any other song. Right. Um, there's a computing error I come up against all the time where it's just like the only, okay. f- the only file we found was you working on commercial radio. <laughs> um, so, so like, I, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Like, mm. like when you re-listened to this, presumably for the podcast, yeah. like, yeah. Did, did anything kind of stand out for you? Or I think, like, just glaze over. I th- no, I think, I think for me, like, the thing that I did get from it was more context because when you're playing songs on a playlist in commercial radio there is no context at all in inherent in the playlist but looking at this as a song that came out in 1998 i connect it to exactly the trend that was happening that allowed smash mouth to be a popular band as well the kind of like alternative rock but made so poppy that the end result is kind of a song like this. You can see wh- where what the elements are that they're playing with in terms of, like, the alternative scene at that time. But this is just covered so much distance and ended up in the middle of the city, in the middle of this uh, commercial district. And so it, it becomes a pop song that still only retains but the smallest of flavours of, of that kind of alternative rock sound. And, yeah, and I think, like, this is exemplary of that in the same way that Smash Mouth is and a bunch of other bands that I kind of can't think of. But... You know them when you're in the presence of them. I think all the bands that you mentioned before, Deej, as well, like Gin Blossoms and Tonic and Vertical Horizon. And this was the only time that those kind of bands could have existed. And I think looking back, and it's to their credit, it's a certain collection of songs that I think Nostalgia is going to treat even more charitably than it does currently. And I still think that's quite charitable. Like when you talk about the connection that you have to this song at the time that it came out. I think that's the the, the thing about these these kinds of songs at the moment. Right. They they live on to the people who were around for them at that time. I couldn't imagine what it would be like for someone to hear this song for the first time now without that kind of context. I would be very interested in hearing that opinion. But for everyone else, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I remember when I was there. It's a, it's a song that serves as a, as a point in time um, and a point in musical history as well. That itself is referencing a bygone era of music. Yeah. It's well, like a postmodernism, baby. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, for my pick for this, and this is, again, if I were of voting age, 998, and remembering to vote in the Hostel 100 of 998, hosted by a radio station, Triple J. And, of course, at all interested in music. And all interested in music. Which and, you're not. Yeah, and familiar with the band Pulp. Oh. No. <laughs> um, I was... The, the song I would vote for uh, is Pulp Cocaine Socialism. Come on, Jav. I thought that you were joking when you said I want to see you. To discuss your contribution to the future of our nation's heart and soul. Six o'clock, my place, why? Well, I arrived just after seven, but you said it doesn't matter. I understand your situation and your image, and I'm flattered. Oh, I'd just like to tell you that I love all of your albums. Could you sign this for my daughter? She's in hospital, her name is Maria. Now I'll get down to the gist. Do you want a line of this? Are you a Pulp's Cocaine Socialism. That's a B-side from the This Is Hardcore era, um, which was the record that came out in 1998 from Pulp. It was their follow-up to Different Class, which was their mega breakthrough hit that had Common People and Disco 2000 on it. The This Is Hardcore record is a very different record in a lot of ways. A lot of horns, a lot slower, a lot moodier, a lot more introspective. In t- just in terms of like even... The, like the opening tracks of the record say like this is the stand of someone losing the plot making it like they're okay when they're not and there's just a lot of int- retrospective vision from Jarvis and the rest of Pulp about their newfound fame and like success after being a band for maybe like 15 years before breaking through with different class and this track was originally meant to go on the record but he copped out because it's too retrospective he then said and then he reworked it to be the song Glory Days which has the same music largely but this song ended up being a B-side and to me it's one of my probably my top five or three B-sides of all time I really really love this I think it's very clever and exemplifies all that stuff whenever I get to speak about Jarvis Cocker on here I always say that his his wryness and his cleverness in his lyrics I think makes me is one of the reasons he's one of my absolute favourite songwriters of the 90s just opening talking about the true to life thing that happened in Britain where New Labour was courting the rise and popularity of Britpop with bands like Blur and Oasis and pushing that to be like, this is the face of New England, this is this is the New Britannia, and that was like the whole point of New Labour. They weren't Margaret Thatcher, the old codgy kind of thing like that. This is like the, the exciting new face of Labour. This is thrilling and cool. Like we, we, get, we get the youth calling it cocaine socialism, referring to the derogatory slur of champagne socialist, if you're like somebody who ch- appears to champion working class rights, but then still is a champagne drinker and doesn't really do that. And taking that to the further extent, being a new Labour person who's on the face of like, oh, you must be a socialist. You're always out on the piss. Do you want a line of this kind of thing? The fun of that. And it's like 
opening with the real to life. I'm not sure if he was actually approached, but I'm sure he was saying, um, I love all of your albums. Could you come around so we can talk about the future of England together? And like that, that happened to the Britpop people. Noel Gallagher and like Damon Albarn had meetings at number 10. It's fucking insane. And this is exactly what Placebo we talked about when we, we discussed Pure yes. Morning were dead against. Yeah, That's what course. they were reacting against, that kind of weird nationalism that Britpop represented. That yeah. They saw as being like xenophobic a little mm. bit as well. Like, I don't want to turn this into the typical rant that I always fucking do, but I'm going to. <laughs> like all there the, is, yeah, all, all the Labor Party or the Democrats or the ALP, it's all just centrism. There's not, there's nothing radical about it all. Like they're, they're never the ones to champion the rights of the underprivileged or re, or repurpose like the wealth gap kind of thing like that. And that's why it's a really really funny Guardian article where they interview uh, Kevin Shields from My Buddy Valentine, where he talks about how Britpop's a government conspiracy. It's very fucking funny. <laughs> I'm, it's, it's it's extremely Andrew Bate but um, yes but this song I think is everything I love about Pulp's funny weird like esoteric songwriting but in this dancey booming bombastic track that also happens to be this reflective funny idea about Jarvis trying to be recruited by New Labour to be like a voice for the people and also has one of my favourite like puns of like the 90s in lyrics where he says um, your choice in all of this is do you want hits or do you want misses as like obviously like do you want your song if you, you sign with us we can make your songs hits or I'll be misses but also do you want hits of cocaine or do you want to have a lady come around I think it's a very very fucking clever lyric and it's exactly what I love about Jarvis Cocker's songwriting style yeah I'm a, I write and die for this song regularly also fucking classic it's just like here's the hottest 100 the most popular songs of the year yeah, I'm going to vote for B-side. <laughs> I, I, I was tossing up between this and also The Fear from the This Is Hardcore record, which is the first track on there. It was which hard was, on that record. It was, and that's a very great song. Yeah, that, yeah. like, that, that's a single. That's the, that's the one you vote for, man. Yeah, true. Well, some of us have to do write-in votes that no one else will. So <laughs> how could I be so brave? It's so controversial. Oh, so controversial. <laughs> Had people heard this song before? No. Oh, this is, no. Yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah, God damn it, you people are I have. Thank you, Nathan. Because, because I've recommended it to you like a hundred times. <laughs> It's like a weekly like <laughs> newsletter from Andrew. Uh, we we discovered off mic slightly earlier today that uh, Andrew and Nathan are shared by a love of music that comes with accompanying essays. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's that's their shit. David, what do you think of this song? I enjoyed it. For me, it kind of felt like an updated Common People. Yeah, yes. a lot, yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, Common yeah, People too. Like, yeah, Common People too. Common, common harder. harder. Yeah, <laughs> bigger, longer, and more common. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, like the kind of like circling and revolving two chord progression and like, yeah, that very kind of just like, oh, I'm pretty clever, right? You know, you see what did that? You see what did that? It's fucking genius. Um, a lot, a lot of that in the, in the lyricism. Like, uh, now with the context of knowing it was a B side, I'm just like, yeah, okay, that, that adds up. But I also like the idea that they kind of took a song and like with the exact same format and then just redid it with different lyrics. Yeah. So I, I like, I like, like pulp, I've never been like intensive, like know all the words, know every lyric, know every album kind of dude. But like, I remember the video for Party Hard really well, and I remember this era, and I, I know that this is hardcore record to an extent, not as much as I'd like to. I'm much more familiar with the different class record, but I reckon I should go back and, and see what this was all about because obviously this was a kind of a turning point in the career of the band, and uh, yeah, I'd be interested to revisit it and uh, see if I, I learn anything more from it. I just want to say out of all the five songs, my choice included, this easily had the best production. I don't know if you listen to this one in cans or anything, but like... I listened to it on the can. 
<laughs> the way that the um, hi-hats, the drums are panned in this, especially in the intro, are beautiful. Um, all the layers of synth and keyboard are just gorgeous. Like, yeah, this is a spectacular sounding song. Like, yeah, And I'm glad that you mentioned that about Common People because I think it builds in the same way that Common People does. And, of course, I mean, the lyrics directly reference it. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know. I, I I didn't want to come out and say it because, like, no, is I, I it just pulp sounding like pulp? But I think it's definitely on purpose. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's 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 a thing that pulp do quite well. Another great uh, Jarvis Cocker song, "Kansas Still Running the World," has the same kind of build up. Look yeah. out for that season 14's remix episode. <laughs> I guess this is just a wonderful chance for Jarvis to tell a story. And that's, it's just fantastic. Like you said, it's that sardonic wit. He's he's so cynical. And having the kind of historical context for what's going on in in the scene that they found themselves put in, you know, you've talked about Pulp several times, but they're not like, they were around before Blur and Oasis and sort of got grouped in together with them. So I think for Jarvis, it's even a more surreal ride that like, you know, now you're getting the, the Britpop number 10 invite and it's just like what is going on like it's just great and like the the music is beautiful it's such a great build like the horns and everything it just turns into such a big fun thing and i think crafting the song so that it starts with that story and and ends with you know it's not really a big sing-along or anything but that that shape is really great i love it and elliot very special guest again we are thrilled that you took your time to come down to visit us at Humble Hot Hundreds of Thousands headquarters. And I'd love to know what song you would have picked in 998. The Triple Hot 100, I mean, if you're eligible to vote. If I was eligible to vote and if I was actually aware of this song at that time, I would have voted for System of a Down's Sugar! <laughs> track tell us about your relationship with system of a down tell us anything you want oh man what a track right i come into system of a down not in 98 when this song was first released i don't really think the self-titled album actually had that much impact over here but yeah i discovered this song a couple of years later when i was over hanging out with a couple of my mates who were like just going to each other sugar sugar what the (laughs) fuck are you guys on about what's this in joke and then they played the song to me and i'm like oh okay that's a thing so like it wasn't that moment where like i heard it and it fucking changed my life uh, immediate system of a 
down convert, no, but it was just this bizarre thing. And then, of course, you know, Chop Suey comes out, Toxicity hits big, and then everyone, including myself, jump on the System of a Down bandwagon. I absolutely adore System of a Down. They were such an important part of um, me developing as a musician and a music lover. We are talking before with Refused and about, you know, them going against what punk was at the time, sort of, with New Noise. And I hear a lot of that with System of a Down as well, where they were really stretching and bending the boundaries of what metal could be. And, you know, as someone who's re- like grown up absolutely loving metal music, but also hating, you know, the gatekeepers and the hierarchy and like, oh, this isn't metal and all that sort of shit. Having System of a Down come out and just not afraid, especially Surge, man, what a vocalist. And he really, you see, especially on Sugar, the extent of um, his vocal work. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, like the, uh, the other song that I thought I might have picked for this was Spiders, um, but I feel like that sort of just exists in sort of one place, whereas this one is just all over the fucking place. Yeah. It's so yeah. funny that System of a Down got grouped in the new metal thing. That's yeah. so weird to me. Like, I think it's just because that's where metal was at the time and they were in metal. Like, So they therefore be... Like, they were new and they were a metal band. Yeah, but that just doesn't make sense. The faster verses in his are kind of beat-y and rap-y, but not really. And like the, his vocal presence, like the whole band are in great form, but like it's always been the surge show for me like just like even the fact that he does like the deep can believe you like yeah the, the contrast between those is so fun and also he was fucking 20 years ahead of the curve knowing what kombucha is <laughs> did uh, you mention kombucha the kombucha mushroom, mushroom people <laughs> marching around all day whoa who can believe you this is the only probiotic song I know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Most metal songs famously antibiotic. Yeah, yeah. 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 System of a Down is good for your gut health. Yeah, it's well, fantastic. This is good news. Conversely, you Elliot, because I don't really come from like a metal background apart from a few select bands and records but I think System bridged that gap for me in a way in the opposite direction for you because like to me I was like oh I didn't know that rock music could be like this not even having the metal context and that kind of opened the doorway to me finding some other metal music I really liked yeah. so it's funny that it went the other way but yeah I like everybody found System when Toxicity dropped and then somehow got a burned copy of the self-titled record or whatever with the hand on the front cover mm-hmm. and this song immediately stood out and I remember some way I had a VHS of miscellaneous heavy music and this the yeah. video for this song was on there and mm. I remember just these weird looking guys like particularly in metal music you just see like a bunch of white guys with long hair and like no there's these weird looking Armenian guys with crazy face paint and weird facial hair playing this music that's heavy but accessible and funny and weird and I was like holy crap these guys are just cool as shit and like, I still think that even though like, they're, they're obviously they're quite naff and the records after Steal this album are famously shitty and I don't know if I'll ever make oh, anything whoa. new <laughs> <Oi>. <laughs> well man hypnotise <laughs> mesmerise man come on man too much Darren the most loneliest day of my life okay fuck that song yeah. <laughs> fuck that song but, but also BYOB the only song in the history of the hottest 100 to ever have a blast beat huh yeah huh. So far. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Watch this face. Extortion are going to get in next year, I yeah. can tell. When you mentioned this as your voting, I was really quite excited. I'm like, oh, fuck, me dad haven't listened to Sugar in so long. I'm about to revisit that and just forget how wonderful this track is. Hold I love the it. fuck up. Yeah. yeah. Big time. Yeah, I remember hearing this record. It's just like, 
yeah, it's pretty good. Like, it's no toxicity, but it's still pretty fucking good. And obviously, this one is just like the most, this is the most fun song on the record. You remember all the individual parts, but then you forget it's all the same song. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love that bit on the album where it's like, what do I do? What do I say? I love that bit on the album where it goes, oh, come on, leave I love that bit where it goes, sugar. Like, oh, what a wonderful record. Wait. That's all. The, that's all the one song. All <laughs> oh, right. It's like a Bohemian Rhapsody level of just like movement upon movement upon movement upon movement. L- let's definitely start calling Sugar the '90s <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. See how yes. we can laugh, Queen fans. All these weird like sections that you wouldn't think would go together that somehow do in this song. Like I don't know how many of you have seen System of a Down live, but this song causes the weirdest mosh pit. Like <laughs> people are like doing the weird fucking circle dance during the verses and like. Sugar and like jumping up and down, classic moshing in the chorus. But then the last bit, um, the final, the outro is like the weirdest, heaviest like version of the Zorba dance ever. <laughs> like how it speeds up. How do I feel? What? I-? And, and like, <laughs> I think you, you said something truly beautiful when you said like you came to System of a Down because of an in joke. System of a Down are a miraculous band in the sense that they're a metal band that cause in jokes. Yeah, yes, they, they, they traded in the currency of these w- weird double take moments that they didn't fit seamlessly within the course of their songs. They stood out from the course of their songs, but amongst many other moments that kind of stood out, it was all just bright mishmash of colours woven into this kind of weird obscure tapestry for this band that, by all rights, is should just not exist. Yeah. Like. Mm. And if they did exist, should not have retained the level of fame that they did. The fact that all of that is true speaks to just how much of a miracle System of a Down actually are. Like, System are incredible. And this is peak System. Yeah. Because there's something really wonderful about how, you know, again, I'm not really into metal at all, but... I love yeah, listening to <laughs> I love listening to System because it's all about how they're playing with that mm. and all the other things they're bringing to it and it just never sits still and they never settle for any tropes like any genre stuff they're like yeah. constantly moving constantly changing it up and that's just like wonderful to follow and and kind of think about and enjoy it but at the same time it's so accessible because it comes off as so fun and playful but here's the thing like i it caused a weird ambivalence for me as a metal kid because i love system when they were being most serious because there are moments littered throughout the course of their discography which is like holy shit that bangs that is just like pure amazing metal for that point and then the next moment they're going like or whatever and yeah. it, like as a kid I was like just, just be serious do that bit again <laughs> it's like I, you don't understand I like Opeth I just want seriousness for 20 minutes oh, <laughs> just on that note April Ethereal from My Arms My Hearse was like my second choice oh <laughs> good call we another classic barbecue track <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. just like Oh, oh, I might go to the store actually I think we've got like 15 minutes yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of the thing like amongst all the other weirdness was a band that was completely in control of their craft and when mm. they when it came down to it the bedrock was that they uh, were amazing metal musicians doing it in a completely different way to everybody else like yeah. they could put out the riffs the drumming is consistently incredible across the board and those harmonies like mm. Like, also, at I- the time, that was the thing that floored me with with system, and still does. Like when it the, the goosebumps shit that they do is when they're locked into those incredibly tight 
kind of harmonies. Also, just... underrated star is is John the bass player? Whoever the bass Shavo player is. Shavo is the bass player. John's yeah, the drummer. John's the drummer, yeah. yeah. The bass is so thick and all yeah. yeah. it's so chunky. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That intro, like, oh, oh, kill for that tone. Let, let's be clear, new metal was an amazing time for bassists. Mm. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> yes. That's very true. That <laughs> is for bassists. <laughs> it was a fieldy of dreams, my friend. <laughs> oh, oh, I suppose, I suppose funk. <laughs> <laughs> it was also pretty good. <laughs> also good for bass. Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys, uh, we're, we're going to do Got the Life. Uh, keep the cymbals splashy and take the baseline for a walk. I'm very upset that the swing version of Got the Life does not exist. Oh, where Frank are you, time. Richard Cheese? Come on. Yeah, Frank Bennett. Oh, Get my Frank God. Bennett oh, Old mate. If there's anyone who can do this. You know where to reach us. The forum. <laughs> Let's do it. Five star review from Frank Bennett saying, Hi, guys, I'm interested in doing the cover. <laughs> this is my this is my public phone number. <laughs> the last thing I want to say about this song as well is like System of a Down had this way of like their ridiculousness, like I don't know, to me makes the audience drop their guard so that when they do come in with a powerful message, I feel like it hits home that much harder. That to me connects to what Refused were trying to do in like <gasps> pushing politics through this was the new noise well th- this is another new noise <laughs> right no, when I was listening to Refuse I was like drawing parallels to this and System of Down all over the 100%. place oh they're, they're trying to push the genre forward so that they can actually talk about the stuff they want to talk about yeah legit and because them being Armenian and having, you know, really wanted to bring the message of the Armenian genocide to a larger audience, you know, I felt like they had different motivations to your sta- stock standard metal band. Dude, legitimately, it's how I found out about the Armenian genocide yeah, for real. system. That was 100% how I found out about the Armenian genocide. Yeah. And, yeah, so because of that, just the combination of being ridiculous, serious, heavy, and funny, like, how could I not fucking love this band? And bizarrely to me, because I just don't like a lot of things that most people like, fucking people love System of a Down. What the hell? That was the most edgelord thing you've ever said. (laughs) Famed expert of underground hated piece of media, The Simpsons. I'm into some pretty obscure stuff, guys. Oh, hi, Elliot. You didn't realise this was a roast. (laughs) Welcome to the roast. Good fun. Good times. And if you too would like to be roasted on the podcast. Wall and gone. Wall and gone. Okay, yeah, we're gonna take a short break. Done, the very short. Um, <laughs> the, uh, we, now we've um. Oh God! Yeah, What's um, this? I yeah. didn't know it was a break. Yeah, you, it, I would have relaxed more. How just was that? A, we called, sent out a message for people to write in if they had any comments or criticisms or arguments, or you maybe just want to say thanks for the fucking free content. Um, <laughs> we, got, we, got, we, got, we got a lot of the former. Deej, mm. who have you got for us here? This is uh, from William Beatty, uh, who yeah is a yes William yes noted. Dedicated. Uh, I believe he has uh, a couple of our catchphrases tattooed on his arm. Uh, yeah. Our boy. Oh. Our absolute boy. Uh, dear Deej, Amac, Bunch, and Endog, he wasn't accounting for you, Elliot. I'm sorry. He That's didn't, okay. He didn't know you were going to be there. <laughs> Thanks for another stellar season of Hottest 100s and Thousands. You guys continue to entertain me and send me into fits of laughter. 
I'd also like to take a second to admire you guys for getting every episode this season out at 5pm each Thursday. Now that I know it's coming, I use that time to walk my dogs Poppy and Max. So cheers for your punctuality. Will, as somebody else who um, has two dogs to walk, I just want to say I commend your training of your dogs to be able to be good enough that you can trust them without having fucking audio. There's no yeah. way I'd walk my dogs with headphones in. You're a Bowls man and a good dog lord. Yeah. Um, William, if you're listening to this, uh, we would love to see a picture of Poppy and Max. That would be very lovely. And t- tell us what they would have voted for. No, no, you can't vote for dogs are the best people again. <laughs> as for the countdown itself, the Whitlams mention 56, as in staring down from the 56th floor, in song number 56, which was Charlie number three. And Jeff Buckley shouts out to 29 in song number 29, which was Everybody Here Wants You. So there's that. Chills. Also, this is the shortest Hottest 100 ever. The average song length is about 3 minutes 40, which makes the countdown roughly 6.11 hours. The longest countdown in comparison was 1993, which is over seven hours in length. Huh. Interesting. That is a cool fact. Uh, just a few of my favorite songs this season were Mr. Charisma, Black Bugs, Teardrop, No Surprises, Malibu, and The Day You Come. Very, yes. very nice. Very nice. Very uh, thank thanks you again. Very much. Yeah, thanks again and much love, William love Beatty. You, Cheers, Will. dude. Love you, Will. This is from Duncan, who says he'd just like to thank us for bringing to his attention what a bubble goose is. Hey! And that the song <laughs> does not, in fact, go, he got to put it in his bubble goose. That's how I heard it. Look, to be fair, Cartman makes it... He muddies the waters a lot. Matt It's not Mac Cartman, it is not So, Duncan says that in his 12-year-old brain, he decided that bubble goose meant but... I can, mm. I can, I can understand that working for, as a t- from a point of view of a twelve-year-old, and also for out. a Southlake character to be saying, "Put it in your butt." Yeah, yeah. on yeah. brand for, yeah. the, for the crew. So yeah, he thought it was a song saying people should shove it up their ass, whatever it happens to be. You got to catch it and put it in your goose. Uh, <laughs> Actual well, interpretation. That's good. Yeah, yeah. thanks, for that, Duncan. Hey, me mate. Uh, this is from Phil. Phil says, "Hi all. My two cents on songs that should have made the hottest one hundred. I think it's crazy that there are no songs off the Miseducation of Lauren Hill in this countdown." one of the defining albums of the 90s. Uh, If I had to pick one track, it would have to be Doo-Wop, that thing. Good choice. Mm. Excellent choice. On a personal note, I also think Waltz Number 2 by Elliot Smith off the brilliant XO album should be there. It's one of my favourite songs off one of my favourite albums of all time. Yeah, Yeah. true. I can't even think about Elliot Smith things without getting sad, so I wouldn't have voted for it because I don't want to be crying over the loss again. (laughs) But very much, thank you very much. From David, DJ, why are you... Yeah, yeah. Dear Andrew, your messages are becoming a nuisance. (laughs) No, this is from a presumably a different David. Um... David um, bamboozled me here with his clever wordplay saying champ is but actually what he's saying is champ is exclamation point or the song formerly known as so closely followed by the impression that I get pick it up pick it up pick it up pick it up mark on the money here Trump is drinking in LA and yeah, baby. Also, wants to add "Do Up That Thing" by Lauren Hill, of course. Um, People are really on board for Lauren Hill. Yeah, baby. Mm. Um, and uh, David goes on to say, "I really think '98 was the year I discovered modern music, much like yourself, Dave. Yeah. This is you. What yeah, the hell? Me. <laughs> yeah. He's a Scar fan. Yeah, he likes yeah. Lauren Hill. Yeah. Like, this is my yeah. dude. Uh, I vividly remember being in awe of videos for Intergalactic, Polyester Girl, and Ray of Light. I love those 
this fucking video. This is me. And what an amazing year for it. Yes, David then gives us some nice words saying, keep up the nice work. And David, we promise that we will. We won't. We would hate to let you down considering you are one quarter of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate the support. <laughs> Paul is next. Hi, guys. Hi, Hi Paul. Paul. Oh, we could do voicemails for people. <laughs> Great podcast and love listening to you guys recreate your childlike love of these songs, literally. I heard these songs as an early 20-something listening to Triple J. Oh, we might have our oldest listener yet. So my memories are a bit different and some songs were more memorable than others. What's missing from the countdown? I'm surprised Bic Runga, Sway, didn't get in. Yeah, mm. legit. Yeah, legit. legit. Yeah. That probably song- the same fastball sort of thing yeah. that was probably mm. on commercial That radio song bumps ass. Fucking hell, what oh, a yeah. hit. Um, it bumps Bubble Goose. It bumps, it bumps <laughs> Bubble Goose, indeed. Um, his champ was Tism with What Are Ya? And his chump was Marcy Playground, Sex and Candy. Oh. I want to say, I'm a massive Tism fan, so I always love a Tism sidetrack when it happens. I'm on the drug! And then he goes on to say, um, have you ever seen Tism in a live performance? Uh, unfortunately, no. We're all too we're young. All, we're all, we're all too babies. Young. Nathan and I at least saw Root and the DC3 numerous times, but we did miss out on the Tism train. This is, as this question referenced Tism, it's not for Nathan and I to <laughs> reveal the dumb in-joke that he and I had. This is a reveal to everybody in the oh, room. Oh, here we Nathan go. I. Um... From when, when when we started this, like number seventy around then sixty, yeah, yeah, around then every episode we've re- we've referenced tism in a lyric. <laughs> we've snuck a tism reference into every episode <laughs> that only diehard tism fans would get. Are you shitting me? No. <laughs> <laughs> from, from about episode four or five, I think it's we, called we, the we, long we, con. We planned it on Facebook the night before. Hang on, <laughs> hang on a minute. Is this legitimate? This yeah, is true. Yeah. This is true. Because I've oh, we've caught it a few times. Like um, you haven't caught it. Haven't caught any of these. Oh my god! There was one in today's. <laughs> what was oh, in today's? Oh. <laughs> what? I my mind is blown. Is there any way that you can direct me so I can put this together as a montage yeah, well, or whatever? We'll go back and we kept to- notes on a couple. Um. So yeah, yeah, we'll find them. Jesus Christ! Excellent. So what just voice. just to recap, <laughs> just to recap, these two gentlemen. Before that, I that are sitting before me have managed to sneak in an obscure tism lyric into basically every episode of this season. That's yes. what I, that's what I'm hearing. Correct. You need a fucking side quest without us, you fucking pieces <laughs> of shit. We just thought it would be a nice present for you. Guys. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's like what a bird, like a, de- a dog brings in a dead bird in its mouth. <laughs> I thought you'd like it. No, get yes. out of the house. Did oh, any... I've been gathering these dead birds all this season. <laughs> <laughs> We've just got a yard full of dead birds. That's what we. God. I am so glad as a fan to be in the studio to see all the faces right now. <laughs> you got Nathan and Andrew so proud of themselves. <laughs> and I can't work out if you guys are impressed or pissed off. I'm disgusted. <laughs> I am... I don't know what to feel. This was, this was, this was our writing moment. <laughs> well, I hope you both enjoyed your last season of the podcast. <laughs> this is from Ryan. And Nathan, I believe this one is addressed mostly to you. Ryan says, I'd like to take a minute to express how personally attacked I feel about you carrying Unforgiven 2 with you as your chump right to the end. I I don't really have anything to say in its defense, though. (laughs) (laughs) But please stop picking on my midlife crisis era mates. Uh, They're still at top 10. Maybe there'll be a new chump. Ooh. Uh, okay, so Ryan goes on with some things that aren't about Metallica. Uh, he would like to submit Queens of the Stone Age's If Only from their debut album. 
Oh, oh shit. Yeah. Correct. Voting Ryan. Yeah, he says, I'm not sure it'll ever go down as one of the greatest hits, but it's definitely one of his favourites across their entire career. His champ would have to be Second Solution because it's one of the first memories of really getting into this weird music thing that everyone was talking about. Also a great we call. We should try that. From David, another David, or maybe the same David. Yeah, look. Now David. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Hottest 100, 1998. Champ for nine-year-old me at the time, The Living End, Save the Day. Champ for 28-year-old current me, Annie DeFranco, Untouchable Face. Huh. Interesting. Because she is 90s Jen Buxton. Yeah. That's a Newcastle reference. I like it. Chump, you too. <laughs> yeah. Because Adam was right, and one day I hope I'll be able to work in com- into conversation the insult about sending a Hallmark card to yourself. <laughs> uh, anecdote, the Manic Street Preachers label decided that the phrase, that was the Manic Street Preachers with their single, If You Tolerate This Then Your Children Will Be Next, from the new album, This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours, was way too long for any DJ to say. <laughs> so it wouldn't be a very successful single, and they let the band do whatever they wanted with the song. Make it five minutes long, with a weird phaser in the very long intro and the socialist music box at the start of the film clip, ironically letting them make a good song. Spot on, David. Yes. Nice mm. stuff. <laughs> yeah, could I go back and say that that song was a wonderful surprise. Yeah. Great stuff in there. And oh, also gorgeous. Great for bigging up Arnie DeFranco, criminally underrepresented in the Hollis 100. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twitter user, um, his name is, his, his handle is, I'm going to dox him, his name, his handle is Edmund Burton. He starts off by saying, okay, thread guys. The 998 <laughs> top 10 Horace 100 is the weakest top 10 in the history of the Horace 100 what and, should, the fuck? and should be exhibit A in the argument against people who say the Horace 100 sucks now. No, he goes on to critique everything. So these, these are Edmund's takes. Number one is the most embarrassing number one on record. In the year that mm-hmm. Regurgitator released Unit, Living In released their self-titled debut, Massive Attack released Mezzanine, The Beastie Brothers released Hello Nasty, and many more, we picked that garbage. At least Arsehole had the balls to be a straight comedy track. Number two has a self-righteous title from a self-righteous artist who has never earned the acclaim he gives himself, and the Triple J listening audience somehow fell for it. Number three is creepy as fuck, an anthem for incels. Jesus Christ! What the The shit? takes are coming hot and fast. Number four uh, isn't the best song by a band that was eligible. Number five oh, was a fair place for a band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number five was a fair place for a band that was insanely big at the time, and the song is decent. Number six fucking slaps should have been higher. Number seven, yeah. that whiny voice ruins a decent song. <laughs> Number eight. Can a song be the colour beige? Yes, it can. This one is. Fuck off. <laughs> the production on that song is fucking excellent. <laughs> Number nine is a perfect song. <laughs> Ten, if I had to look up and listen to listen to in order to figure out what it was in, in, in spite of being 17 and being a fan of this band and having seen them live on three occasions, the only saving grace of the pointing out of my house 100 is that they kept you 2 in 11th. <laughs> Uh, end thread. End thread. <laughs> Number Ed- 10 is my champ. Like, <laughs> wow. Edmund Burton, my friend, this is the content I crave. Our last piece of uh, listener content is a piece of audio from our beloved writer, listener, and fan, Decker. G'day, Hottest One Hundos. It's your old mate Decker back again to say a big old congratulations. And I'm cracking a tinny for you, crackers, on another cracker of a season. But enough of this mushy shit. Let's get into my personal top five. You know, to let you know what the truth is. All right, number five. Rob Zombie's Dracula. Holy shit. Is there a better encapsulation of rocking the fuck out? This song fucks and slaps. Deej, you complained about Rob Zombie going over his festival set time and taking time away from who? What, the fucking Melvins? Mate, 
You should appreciate. You are fucking privileged. He could have gone overtime playing Dracula five more times and it would have been the best show. Get a spoonful and a teller and nut up, mate. Oh, and for the record, yes, I am still playing Twisted Metal 4. My PSN handle is SatanSexweed69420666. All right, number four, The Dope Show by Marilyn Manson. This is a thumper. Whoa, it's just so solid and it's got that big beat. You can slam your head to it so hard you could hammer nails with it. You know, old mate Manson, he has a saying. Don't make beats that will confuse strippers. And I think this is just the perfect music philosophy because old mate Mazzy Manso, you know, he's not like these other smart-ass musos like Ben Lee. Oh, cigarettes will kill you. Who are you, my fucking cigarette packet? And custard? Music is crap? Well, don't fucking play it then, you eggs! Alright, number three. Manic Street Preachers. If you tolerate this, then your kids will be next. Now, this isn't normally my type of music, but I really like this song. I like how it would be considered to be an A minor, but it really flirts with the relative major of C. Like, in the verses, how that G chord wants to resolve to C, but then it goes to the A minor, which still serves tonic function, so it's fucking grouse. The song balancing between minor and major is highlighted in that final chorus, where they go FCG, and on the repeat, they go D minor, A minor, G. And, as you know, F and C are serving the same tonal functions as D minor and A minor. It's pretty fucking wicked for a song that's, you know, pretty diatonic. Alright, number two. Of course, it's gonna have to be The Unforgiven 2 by Metallica. Now first, I want to just talk directly to Nathan Harrison. Hey Nathan, mate, mate, Nathan, mate. What the actual fuck, mate? You put the second best song on this list as your multiple time carryover chump? How fucking dare you? And not only is Unforgiven 2 your chump, but Dr. Worm is your champ? Who are you? Who the f- I, I mean, just the- Oh, the audacity. Just into the solo with you, mate. I dub thee Nathan Harrison Unforgiven. This song is amazing. They built on what made the first Unforgiven so great, and then they knocked it out of the park again with number three. Deej, you joked about it, but I do want Metallica to release even more Unforgivens. They could release a full album of Unforgivens. Everyone loves a sequel. Fucking Star Wars 2, Indiana Jones 4, The Terminators. I mean, Police Academy didn't even get good until the fifth one. All right, now here it is. Here's the big one. Number one. Give it to me, baby. Oh, it has to be. The offspring's pretty fly for a white guy. Now, it's pretty obvious why the Triple J listeners voted this number one, and I think you'll all agree with me that not only is this the pinnacle of the offspring, but this is the pinnacle of punk rock music. I can think of no other song that is more emblematic of punk rock values and ethos. Like, seriously, think of the main punk bands. you got The Living End, Blink-182, Nofix, like Fallout Boy. Those bands weren't even a little bit fly. The Offspring, they were pretty fly. Look, maybe those lads from Green Day, you know, with that song, uh, fucking what is it? Do you have the time of your life? Maybe. But The Offspring are and always will be the blokes that perfected punk. All right, that about does it for my top five, guys. Thanks for having me on again. And now, Waluigi, just letting you know, mate, appreciate the offer for a beer at the Cordy, but they won't let me in because I don't meet their precious dress code. So, you know what? Fuck them. I'll be at the townie. Punk rock! Later, fucks. Yeah! Yeah! Uh, M-E-T. God, his voice is kind of familiar. Vaguely. <laughs> just a touch. Look, it's me, okay? <laughs> I'll, I'll admit, David was me. William, I am William Beatty. <laughs> 
Look, we don't have that many fans, so I've been pretending to be other fans this entire time. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm, making me feel I'm good. I'm really sorry. That's yeah, all fine. Yeah, my mate's views don't represent me in any way. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? Is that your mate? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. And that is it for the remix episode. Thank you very much for listening and sticking around, indulging us in the songs that we would have liked to hear and patting ourselves on the back with your feedback. I mean, no, it's indulgent, but come on, you're listening to a podcast. It's all indulgent. Um, yeah. Before we get out of here, of course, got to thank FBI Radio, the Sydney's finest. And again, if you do have the cash to be a supporter, there's no better time than right now. They are just fucking legends. And also, before we go, I want to throw to our good friend Elliot if he has anything he would like to sell, be it podcast, his body, or just some old merch he has lying around. It, 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 does sound, it looks like you've got something yeah. to say. Yeah. Do, do you? you? Yeah. yeah, I host a podcast called The Simpsons Index. In each episode, we look at three different episodes of the show that each come from a different decade. So we really like to talk and compare, you know, what's was so great about the classic era, what's not so much working about the new episodes. And yeah, we're just basically trying to put a, together a guide for uh, people to watch The Simpsons. And you can find our guide on thesimpsonsindex.com, you know, so you can, you know, watch all the good episodes or avoid the bad or just watch the bad if you, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you'd like. I, there for are someone some- who's like not particularly versed with New Simpsons, I find it super, super fascinating to hear about new episodes through the Simpsons Index, like, and just not not having seen it, not having any frame of reference, but having these moments that you talk about and dissect kind of popping out of context. It's super fascinating and all your comments are super insightful. And also finding the rare good new apps. Oh, yeah. I use, yeah. The, I use the index on the website to be like, oh, okay, there's a good one in season 27, I guess. I'll check it out. Or yes. even just like, uh, like the little moments that work within the new episodes as well, hearing you guys kind of go on that really deep dive moment by moment thing. Super cool. Also, don't take this the wrong way, but I also now use the Simpsons Index to fall asleep. <laughs> so I fall asleep listening to talking about the Simpsons, then that gets ingrained in my head. It's just good to have something sensible and something nice and, you know, funny that I can just kind of drift off to. So, yeah. You are with me in bed. I just want you to know that. Sweet. Good. Yes. <laughs> yes. And again, Elliot, thank you so much for joining us. No, for thank you very us. much for having me here today. Like, I've discovered so much music through your podcast and, you know, going back as well, like, rediscovering things that I love back in the day. So, like, the, yeah, the work that you're doing with this thing is wonderful. The uh, top 10 will be coming very soon. You've already heard one person's take on what the top 10 <laughs> are. Let's find out what the experts think. <laughs> yeah, you, you've heard the rest. Now hear the best. You'll hear from us very soon, listener. But as we go out, as always, I've been Andrew McDonald. With me, as always, Nathan Harrison. Bye. Adam Buncher. See ya. William Beatty. <laughs> and a farewell from our very special guest, Elliot. Elliot J. O'Neill. Hit me up on Twitter at Elliot J. O'Neill or at Simpsons Index. Great. Thank you very much, listener. And remember, everything is good for you, but especially the top 10 of the Ross 998 from Triple J if you're eligible to vote. Coming up next. <laughs> Keep music evil. Keep music evil.